Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan, and today we will be answering the never ending question Is Battle for Baldur's Gate the set that breaks CEDH? <laughs> today, my fellow Sculpty Boys, Pongo and Ian, otherwise known as Comedian MTG, will be joining me to give their takes on the latest set for Magic the Gathering in uh, this latest edition of our set review series. Before we dive into that discussion, however, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons. Your support is what enables us to be able to continue the show and put on events like the MLC. Uh, one of the benefits of being a patron is access to our Discord server, where you can join our community for all sorts of discussions around spoilers, deck building, memes... You can join Squirrel Mob and I as we talk about uh, sports and as uh, James bemoans uh, how bad the Detroit Lions are. It really is a truly great community, and we would love to uh, have you be a part of it. Also, starting this week, the show will be going back to audio only. I know some people really liked the video aspects of it, but... It's just much more manageable uh, to keep a consistent release schedule when audio is the main focus. However, as a bonus for our patrons, I am going to be releasing the uncut episodes of our recording sessions with video for you all to enjoy. So if you want to join the Sculpty family, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors. And you could find out more information there. Also, don't forget to rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you review us on Apple Podcasts, I will make sure to give you a shout out in the next episode. Nobody left us a review last week. So come on, get on that, everyone. <laughs> oh, well, with that said, let's jump into my conversation with Ian and Pongo and answer the question. Is Battle for Baldur's Gate the set that breaks CEDH? Uh, so before we get too deep into the set review, um, mm. we have something we have to do. Um, and that is our first uh segment of our show uh which is going to be dear sculpty boys um, this is a i ian i know you're laughing but this is a real patron perk i i read it yesterday and it completely left my mind until <laughs> I, I didn't realize that we were gonna do it right right away i guess the response has mm -hmm. been good so here's here is the question uh dear sculpty boys some exposition before the question cedh has grown by leaps and bounds over the past few years driven largely by a combination of significant online presence, acceptance of proxies or playtest cards to handle cost concerns by players, and numerous paths to easily play over the internet even prior to the creation of Spelltable. As we've seen this explosion of growth, so too have we seen a similar explosion in content. Deck text, physical pieces, gameplay videos, and even Twitter clout wars have dominated uh, discussion, not just in CEDH circles, but often have even spread into more traditional EDH discourse. 
This places a significant pressure on CEDH content creators not only to develop their own brand, but also to speak for the whole of CEDH, whether that is their intention or not, as any CEDH content creator becomes a window for non-CEDH consumers into the world of CEDH. With that in mind, (laughs) who has the best voice in CEDH? Like literally the nicest voice to listen to. And that's uh, that's going to be uh, from Sarah in Santa Fe, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So I guess so I guess we'll just I, I think this is an easy answer personally. I think there's two. I think there's one that might roll off our, our heads as, as people we know more. But I, OK, I, I'll go, I'll go ahead. I want to you know what, Pongo, you go first. Best voice. I mean, it, it depends. I, 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 because like I have some people in mind that maybe you won't all agree necessarily fit into this rattle, category. Rattle some names. But the first mm-hmm. name that comes to mind when I think of somebody who you could consider a content creator of, of sorts is Kai. Um, Kai does have a great Kai voice. Kai does have a great voice, yeah. Go subscribe to the their YouTube channel, Fervent Alchemist. Um, who who are you thinking of, Ian? I want to hear you say your one because I have a feeling I'm going to say yes. It's but Sean. Also. <laughs> it's Sean from uh, yeah. From, okay. Yeah. From the Mystic Remoras. Easily. Easy. That's he's another. He's who good did one. our voiceover. Yep. Yeah. He's who did <clears throat> our voiceover for the CEDH yeah. awards. He's great. He he has so, the silky smoothest. Is the, is that how mm-hmm. you say it? Silky smoothest, very silky sure. smooth. Whatever. <laughs> I so I thought you were gonna get the other person and not get Sean. Oh, because Sean was my my what I thought was my wild card. My other person's higher. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Higher, like, higher like, is a good one. I, I've legitimately had long conversations with Higher about how he could literally make millions on ASMR, <laughs> like. <laughs> Alex does have a great voice. Um, I legitimately have a late night conversation has been soothed to a a slumbering state due to Alex's lovely, lovely tones. So this is the official CEDH content creator tier list. You heard it here. It's it's Sean, Kai, and uh, Hire or Alex from Playing With Power. Mm -hmm. I don't know what Mm -hmm. he what we're supposed to call him now that he's part of playing with power. Is it still higher? Or is it- I mean, he goes by both. Okay. Listen, as the mind sculptors and <laughs> playing with power, both begin to consume CED. Mm-hmm. It's like, you've got two massive devouring, like all consuming <laughs> forces, like coming from opposite ends and like everyone else is, you know, in between getting caught up. Yeah, you know, swallowed into hey, either the Sculpty hey, family look. or playing with power. I used to be over here, you know, just a casual Star Wars, and then Disney had to go and buy me up. I get it. Oh, you, you know what? I can actually make this reference now because there's going to be a Warhammer 40k set coming out. But it's like you've got the mm-hmm. Tyranids on one side, and you've got like I don't know the Necrons on the other side, and they're you know we're just trying to assimilate or devour everything. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Are we the are we the Phyrexians or are we the Eldrazi? (laughs) I like I I like to think we're the Gatewatch. 
but um or the nah, or the coalition or the coalition <laughs> like notice how i picked two villain factions <laughs> peace was never an option uh i'm not like you saw us in seattle we're a bunch of fucking degenerates like <laughs> No one looks at people like the three of us and Morgan and goes, yeah, the good guys are right there. <laughs> Too true. Well, now that the villains of uh, CEDH have arrived, uh, we're going to, uh, as the title of the uh, video, uh, you know, implies or the podcast, however you're listening to this on, uh, you know, on Spotify, we're going to answer mm-hmm. the never ending question. Is Commander Legends... What's it called? Battle at Baldur's Gate? Is that Battle for Baldur's Gate? I believe. Is Battle Commander Legends 2 the set that breaks CEDH? Technically, technically speaking, it's Commander Legends Dungeons and Dragons Battle for Baldur's Gate, if we're going by uh, this pack I have here. <laughs> Commander Legends 2. Could they two. have come up with... Yeah. Two, yeah. The, the official like set card thing is CLB. So Commander yeah. Legends Bolt. Which I think could have been worse. It could have been much worse. All right. So first card on our list is Archivist of Ogma. It is a uh, colorless and a white creature, halfling cleric. That's a 2-2 with flash. And whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain one life and draw a card. Um, so... Guys, I, I don't know. Is this good? Is this playable? I can't. I don't, I don't know. I can't tell. It says <laughs> no, draw a card on it. I heard that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, true. I didn't think about that. I, part. In in all seriousness, this is like Esper Sentinel good. Mm. Like, I, yeah, I don't so, think it's wow. that good personally. <laughs> I'm I'm hard throwing down the yeah. red flag <laughs> on that one. I don't. Uh, I do not know it's that good. Yeah, and that's strike one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So we've started a discussion. So tell me, tell me why I'm wrong. So what's what's going on here, Pongo? Do you want to start or? Well, I, I I'll, I'll leave that conversation for you. How about that, Ian? I'll just go over, <laughs> okay, you know, kind okay, of the cool, stats cool. that we've got here and and what I like about this card. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we're talking about uh, one and a white for a two two, and it has flash, mm-hmm. which is like really nice actually, just to kind of randomly have on top of. The mm-hmm. meat of this card, which is whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain one life and draw a card. Turns out people in this format search their library pretty often between tutors and fetch yeah. lands and stuff like that. Yes. Um, so this card actually ends up drawing a good amount of cards uh, for only two mana. And you can also, you know, um, you don't have to like play it out um, in advance mm-hmm. at sorcery speed. So you can be representing interaction and then just flash this in when somebody cracks a fetch land or something. It's a play pattern that uh, Callahan, as you will attest to, I can tell you all about. (laughs) I've already done this many, many times on stream now uh, because I've kind of just been keeping hands with this card to try it out. Um, I'll tell you mm. from experience, when you crack a fetch against this card and somebody goes in response, your heart (laughs) drops. People clench their butt fast. Oh, absolutely. Because Um, you're... you immediately think you're getting op agent. Yeah. Oppo. Even yeah. even if it's mono white, you're still just sitting there going. Which which is a, have? a good comparison point that I wanted to make. This card I don't believe is as good mm-hmm. as opposition mm-hmm. agent. Oh, no. I, I yeah. Don't well, mainly close. because opposition yeah. agent is just so backbreaking for so many decks. 
um, to have to play through. Well, you know, uh, it, it kind of just yeah. you you can't play through it because opposition agent draws a card, right? But it also is a yes, space, right. That's it, that's kind if, of the if you can pull off opposition agent um, drawing a card. Uh, sure, but you're also happy to just slam opposition agent, even if people ha- aren't tutoring, a, yeah. because you know that it's going to right. be disruptive as a stacks piece. Whereas this, right. you really need to get value mm-hmm. off of it for it to be doing anything. Uh, otherwise, it's just a two-two, and you know it's not stopping your opponents from tutoring uh, most of the time. And you know, short of them playing very particular decks that literally have like a tutor in the command zone. Uh, as we saw on stream last mm. night, or two nights ago, Callahan, um, where Sick was playing Rocco and and was very threatened by the Ogma. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I've played around with the card, and I think for just two mana, um, I've been consistently drawing like two, three cards a game uh, and gaining, you know, two, three life off of it, which for two mana is, you know, where I want a card to be more or less. Um at sort of mm. at and minimum. It's a body, which is, and it's a body you know. which has additional upside in the types of decks you're going to want to play it, play it in. Um, right. So I don't believe that it's, I don't personally believe that it's a slam dunk in, in every deck that could possibly play it. Um, yeah. Notably, you know, Thrasios and Timna decks, uh, as we were talking about last, the other night as well, are frequently going to run into an issue where the forced mm-hmm. draw aspect of this card you know, making it like an, a second Esper Sentinel of sorts. Yeah, it, it, it can it kill, kill you <laughs> if your win condition is consistently just Oracle, mm-hmm. right? And that that happens to be the case yeah. for most Thrasios Timna decks. Um, so yep. it can actually be awkward to play through it. You know, I played in Najila. Yeah. And that deck is just happy to play like really efficient um, card advantage engines, you know, at two mana, ideally. Um, and then, you know, something that I can neoform later is additional upside or I can attack with it additional upside. So uh, here's the thing. I think if you if you are playing this card, expecting it to be that use case that we were just talking about there and uh, the two to three cards, like a two mana flash that draws two over or draws three over the course of several turns. That is something that is a right. CDH statement, right. right? Like, I think that is pretty easy to. No one's doubting that this card is playable or even that it is on the better side of playable cards. In low color decks, I think this card's a slam dunk. Like I think you play this a ton in any white X decks, especially in, the, in like the two, three color department. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of cases where you play it. Maybe you know when you add black or blue. Like there's definitely some decks where you, you yeah, start to question it, it, it's bit. better than. Um, it, it's certainly higher than like the fiftieth percentile of CDH cards. Yeah, I I totally agree. Yes, that is a very good way of putting it. But uh, the fact that, I mean, first of all, casting non-creatures in comparison to tutoring is, I don't think those are even comparable quantifiers there, right? Like, like if you think about how many non-creature spells are cast in an average game of CEDH, like, it's, it's a comical amount. And, and many in, so like, you're never going to end up in a scenario in which someone tutors and then, or Okay, never. But like for Esper Sentinel, right? Like some of the scenarios in which it pops off are like you're having a counter fight, mm-hmm. right? In in the mid to late game or even in the early game with some more aggressive decks. And player A attempts to cast a proactive spell. Player B uh, goes to counter that proactive spell and it's still in the early game. So no one has the extra one mana. And then player C finally has the third counter spell that gets them over the top, right? That's three cards for Esper Sentinel. In that scenario, um, there are not going to be scenarios in which right. <laughs> you're like, ah, yes, uh, player A 
goes to cast the demonic tutor. Player B goes to crack the fetch land. Player C goes to crack the fetch land. Those are things that can happen, but it's not going to line up in the same way. And it's not going to have the dividends yeah. in the same way. Esper Sentinel can be paid for. It's it's more of a tempo play in that sense. So like if you're treating Esper Sentinel like a Thaliel, right? Like that's very interesting. That's not how I ever see it. See play, but yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> um, Callahan, I don't know. I see. We see it a lot. I'm sorry. Yeah. But the, the, <laughs> Our Rhystic studies and our Esper Sentinels don't draw cards. You play in the uh, grindiest. I know I play in the grindiest. <laughs> it makes me the most responsible magic player. And it's right, but terrible. <laughs> the amount of players in the open meta that are just head down, face forward, right? Like The, the amount of time... I'm looking at my Rhystic study and I'm like, I thought this was a good card. What's happening? So, (laughs) so the one, the one thing I will say is when I say that I, I evaluate it on the same as being the same as like Esper Sentinel is because when we did our modern horizons Mm -hmm. set review, I said this thing where Esper Sentinel is mystic remora and it's in the same class of cards as mystic remora Rhystic study those types of effects and you know mystic remora's preordains rhystic studies all those different cards that go in when i'm dropping cards into my bucket to build a deck and then i take them out as i'm trimming the fat off the deck if that makes sense you know like preordain doesn't always make my deck or ponder doesn't always make your deck or git probe doesn't always make your deck but it's definitely in the first draft of a lot of my decks um, in the initial like mm-hmm. dropping in of cards. And I, and that's kind of where I, I, I see this card is where it's like it probably won't make the cut in several decks, but it's certainly going yep. to be seeing play. And it's mm-hmm. a generically good card. I, <laughs> one also uh, word of caution for people that I, I, I think keeps because it is so comparable to opposition agent and Aven mind sensor, I've heard the word hate bear used to refer to this card. It it, it literally does nothing to stop what your opponents are doing. It's no, it's it's suggested it's, stacks. I, I, I see it as like yeah, as Charles. It's a suggested exactly, much like Remora, much like Rhystic Study. It's it reminds me more of a non-color specific compost than. Yeah. Uh, than something like Athalia, right? So I, I think it's just something to note when people are evaluating this card is like y- you cannot look at it like it's a stacks piece because it isn't. Well, on to the next card. Battle Angels of Tear. Um, it is an angel knight that is a 4-4 four, four, uh, that ha- uh, costs two colorless and two white and has flying and myriad. Uh, and whenever Battle Angels of Tear deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. If that player has more cards in hand than each other player, then you create a treasure token if that player controls more lands than each other player. Then you gain three life if that player has more life than each other player. That has a lot of text on it. So first of all, (laughs) Myriad is an on-attack ability that makes a copy for how many opponents you have? For each each unattacked creep opponent, yeah. There you go. That's what Myriad does. So, Ian, what is it specifically about this card that you really like that, you know, is worth mentioning? And why is it draw a card? <laughs> <laughs> it's so so for me, it's it's while yes, draw a card is like kind of 
popped on like it's it's very good right so you are going to get unless i'm misreading this card you're gonna get each of those mm, things right? no <laughs> oh no 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 no. you're not because yeah. it's each other player there's another card in the set that says each opponent but it's not mm. this one anyways side note um but so unless you have the most cards in hand and if you're playing a low color white deck you won't <laughs> uh unless you have the most lands and you know depending on specifically the deck that's a that's a maybe and then the life doesn't really matter but like also it might if you're if you're playing a long drawn out game um the the point is it is four mana for 12 evasive power every single turn that sometimes also grants you card advantage and sometimes also grants you mana advantage yeah. and the context for this that I think is very important here is uh, I am not talking about this card for a four color deck. I'm not talking about. Well, OK, that's even that has a little asterisk next to it. Right. I, I hate speaking in absolutes, um, <laughs> but Fair. this is this is a low colored stacks card. Right. Um, I have been working a lot a lot. Uh, I've been working a reasonable amount on uh, perfecting Giada, the the Streets of Nuke Panic Commander, and then obviously this is like a snap include in there. Right. Um, but I think just as a stacks finisher in any white deck, especially the monocolored white decks that are using things like Archon of Amiria, the amount of generated value you can get from this four mana investment, it, it will win you the game. It is a very efficiently costed, like four mana for an evasive flyer that turns into... 12 damage worth of pressure every single turn is is a solid return on investment and if it replaces itself if not does more i think this is a really solid finisher and it's it's one of those things it's like this is a pushed casual card and because it's a pushed casual card in a stack deck it's a great finisher <laughs> mm, it's true you know yeah i find it funny mm. that they put that last line of text on it where you gain three life if that player has more life than each other player. Meanwhile, you're like crushing the table. You like never gain <laughs> yeah, that life. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they decided that like one of these modes is just like never happening. And it was that one, <laughs> which is, it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. Anyway, you said that as the mono white deck, you know, frequently you're going to have fewer cards in hand. Um, and that wasn't always my experience. Um, because what actually ends up mm. happening a lot of the time is um, you tend to be playing a considerably higher curve um, than a lot of the other decks. Um, and you also tend to be playing less acceleration and less explosive cards in general than a lot of the other decks. Mm -hmm. um, so it was not unusual for me to find that um, after getting like maybe a trigger off this card and drawing a card that I was sort of no longer drawing cards off of it. Um, because people had more or less emptied mm -hmm. their hands and I was not able to deploy cards quite as fast. You know, pretty consistently getting the treasure, yeah. though. Yeah. So, like, you know, the value right. proposition is there. But I think that um, mm -hmm. for four mana, if all I was doing was, like, inconsistently drawing a card and, like, inconsistently getting a treasure, I would actually be much less excited about this. When, when you look at the whole package, as you, you know, so eloquently put. Right. So, um, yes. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's it's really the, the the comparison with Tender Shoe Dryad is is an interesting one. I think it's less powerful as a beat stick, but you do have to obviously look at you know the fact that it is going to give you treasures pretty consistently um, and draw a card. I think you know mm -hmm. at least one card um, most of the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Next card on our list is uh, Deep Gnome Terramancer. Uh, that is a 2-2 Gnome Wizard that costs one colorless and a white. 
that has flash. And whenever one or more lands enter the battlefield under an opponent's control without being played, you may search your library for a planes card, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle, and you can only do this once each turn. Um, so this is basically something you play in response to somebody's fetch. I it's like, but this isn't modern, you know. I I, I think that's that's like really a thing we're missing with this card, is that the there are only a certain amount of fetch lands in every CEDH deck. And no one's playing right. Nature's Lore. No one's playing mm-hmm. three visits except for me and Brayden yeah. and Paco. Right? Like, <laughs> and like the, the two people the, that are playing Tatiova. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And uh, that's my yeah. biggest qualm with this card. Is like I, I would actually put money on the table that there are more games where this doesn't trigger than games where it does. Yeah, and it has to trigger more than one time to actually be good, by my estimation, because otherwise you might as well just be playing, like, Loyal Warhound or, you know what I mean? Like, two mana if an opponent has... Yeah, yeah, Knight of the White White Orchid. If if you can handle the White White, absolutely. This having having Flash, though, I think it's very, like... It's certainly upside, yeah. And it also gets any planes card, right? So, like, this, this gets you your duel. This gets you... You know, the this can color fix you, which is why in a deck like why I would consider it. I'm not saying I would play yeah. it, but I would at the minimum consider it because it's one reactive, which is exactly what that deck is all about. Right. And, you know, Arden Crom is very much a reactive deck. This on surface level fits into that as something that's worth looking into because it can potentially help you fix your mana which that deck regularly runs into. I, I, like even in winota where this is a flash non-human i i i cannot see myself playing this well, you don't play a whole lot of planes so, like, though do you uh we have like six that's a lot yeah Mato, i think it's sacred foundry okay. yeah. for me like if i'm playing five planes i could probably consider just i could justify this card um yeah. five plus right but that's and on top yeah, of exactly. Foundry and plateau and right? i'm talking like, about i'm not talking about basic planes i'm talking um, about just five planes cars right like <laughs> yeah 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 right super fair um yeah i i don't know maybe i am underestimating the amount of fetch lands but like i see tons yeah of fetch i mean it comes also. down early enough that i do think it nabs yeah. a few fetch lands like, but that's that's the thing right is it's two mana so you can play this as early as turn one it does need um, to but, get two fetch lands though to like really and and it needs to do that consistently. Otherwise, like give me arcane signet, you know, like or, or like you know, I, like yeah. I will also say I have the biased Winota perspective here, where I think the the burden of cards in Winota to immediately put pressure on the board and like do things is a yeah. little higher than like some of the more grindy. Yeah, it's not evasive, uh, right? Either, and it's not like, a stack right. piece. Like yes, yeah, yeah. Right. Like even Goldhound, which seems like a snap include for Winota, is like a card that it just isn't making the cut yeah. right now. And that should that's yeah. kind of indicative of like the pressure of cards. Yeah, they need to have evasion or haste or <clears throat> impact the board. Right. Which this doesn't do any of those things. So mm-hmm. I, I I understand. Exactly. Completely. So the next card on our list is Am I reading that right? Uh Paradox Engine? <laughs> No, no, no. It's uh, <laughs> Displacer Kitten. Uh, Displacer Kitten is a 2-2 cat beast uh, that costs three colorless in a blue and says whenever you cast a non-creature spell 
Exile up to one target non-land permanent you control and return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So obviously, Shout out. this is Paradoxical Kitty. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Ken of Stacked EDH who called Paradox. the Paradox <laughs> Engine. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so count on Ken. when we look at this card, uh, we've... Pongo and I have had personal experience playing against this card. Um, it's very gross against something like Muldrotha. Uh, that was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. Where you get this down with Muldrotha. With out, a lion's eye diamond or a lotus petal. Like, lotus yeah. petal. <laughs> and you just cast it from your graveyard, bounce your Muldrotha, cast it yeah. again from your graveyard, bounce Muldrotha. It's a new Moldrotha, Moldrotha, so yeah, you can just keep making mana and flickering Moldrotha. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) it's very gross. Um, Oh. uh, (laughs) I think, sorry to interrupt you, Callahan. Mm. I'm just going to say, you know, this is my hot take for the night. And you know me, my hot takes are incredibly cold. But I think that this is, for me, the best card in the set. Um yeah. That is the coldest take I've ever heard. <laughs> My hot takes are always really cool. Um, I, I think this is the best card in the set. I mean, some people will probably think that it's um, Archivist of Ogma, which probably is, you know, maybe more generically good. But this card, um, mm-hmm. it, it's just so layered. Like, you know what I mean? I, it has, does so many different interesting things in so many different places yeah. and it's just going to continue to get more broken with time. So, so just, mm-hmm. just to, I, I want to give some clarity here. So earlier in our discord, um, somebody um, uh, posted a, a screenshot from somebody whose take on this card was basically, you know, it's a four drop. And so you've got to have four mana plus, Another thing to do and, you know, it's, you know, Notion Thief isn't that playable and it has Flash and all of these things and Cobblepot and Phoenix are in here going. These are the exact same arguments people made about Paradox Engine when that card came out and it got banned. So... (laughs) This is not as good as Paradox Engine. It's just it's not as good as Paradox Engine. Right. But it's also not as easy to counter as Paradox yes. Engine, yep. I will say. It's also easier to tutor than Paradox it's, Engine. <laughs> yeah. You can get it off either yeah. recruiter. Well, it, depends on the color. it depends on the colors, right? If you're in green, then this is the easiest Paradox Engine to tutor. Well, I mean, right? but like, um, uh, so, so it's as easy to tutor if you're playing black, one or the other, right? But then most of the time you're adding on sure, green. Sure, 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 sure. So, like, yeah. This card is very good a lot of the time. Right. Uh, So here's just an example play that I like to talk about. Uh, Turn one, you play a land and a mana vault. Turn two, you play. (laughs) uh, Or Yeah, turn two, you play another land, you play your kitty and you play a one mana spell. Oh, hey, I got that fun little mana vault back. That's that's weird. Yeah, Uh, that's just like a, a, a super medium case for this card. Right. I think. There are a lot of scenarios where you're going to put this in the field. Yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> like Mana Vault's taking, end, taking too small. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but that's but I'm saying like Mana Vault's like a thing that we're not like, oh God, it's Mana Vault, yeah. we're all going to die. But like Mana Vault's a yep. really damn good card, right? This with the Soul Ring, this with the Mana Crypt. So like, many things, yeah. It, it, the fact that 
So, so my Eternal big witness, place for this, like, I, I kind of had a hot take last set with, um, not last set, sorry, in, in Neon Dynasty, where I said that reality chip is a reason or is maybe like the first reason to play a non um, Proteus staff or polymorph version of Urza. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the second reason. And I was already really high on reality chip in Urza. Um, so the fact that this with Urza just becomes cast a non creature immediately get refunded at minimum uh, a thing that taps for another blue mm. mana and make a construct every time that you're casting a spell uh that's just See? insane and then you know there's there's so much upward potential if you're playing a deck that like like i think there is room for this with like a sakashima style deck where mm-hmm. you can guarantee that you have a second copy of this card and that just goes like buck what there is so much potential to this card is is my point this here. card i like, think puts yeah. joyra back into a position where if you remember before paradox engine was banned joyra was like quite playable um and yeah. And then it became, yeah, because it just, (laughs) you, you would die so many times because you would just run out of gas. Right. This, I, I will say Bergy was a really big, it was a big, and I think Bergy does a little more than, than this card. I I think the combination of the two makes up for losing paradox engine. Um, right. Because now (laughs) you're like, okay, like this being able to reset your mana vault or your grim monolith, Mm -hmm. that's what's important here. Um, that's where Bergy can't compete with this card in Joyra because it being able to like, like as somebody who put, I was dedicated before Lavinia, I was a very dedicated Joyra player. Um, and, uh, the way you would get steam was I remember there was there were, there was a game where I was hellbent. I top decked a mana vault with a paradox engine out, and then I proceeded to win the game. <laughs> like that, yep. that, that, that was about, literally right? the course of events was I won the game yeah, because yeah. I top decked yeah. a card for one mana. That drew me a card yeah, no, because, because right, of paradox right, engine. Right. Yeah, because paradox. <laughs> because engine. paradox this engine. is going yeah. to end up doing the exact same thing, and it's because <laughs> what that deck ends up needing is it needs to float enormous amounts of mana to be able to mm-hmm. really get things moving. And if you're right. able to just tap down your grim monolith, like honestly, I mm-hmm. think you could like phantasmal image, Sakashima, Phyrexian metamorph. I am. Phyrexian Metamorph, 100% am considering Enjoyra now. Uh, Sakashima, I'm almost 100% considering now because it's a draw off Joyra and could double Joyra or could double Kitty. Like, the amount of stuff that this opens up for that deck alone makes me really happy. It's also dust stuff with Birthing Pod, just kind of, like, coincidentally, right? Like... I mean, you need to have the non-creature spells, Wait, right? Really? Um, but like, you can chain, for example. Oh. It yeah, flickers, flickers pod. pod. Yeah, oh, yeah. If you have the dope. non-creature spells um, in hand, but but you know, there there has to be chains, right? Where <laughs> oh. you know you're just chaining through like spell <laughs> yeah. seeker, chaining through you know other things like eternal witness, but potentially mm-hmm. um, making sure that you put those cards in hand um, with other untappers and stuff like that, like or you know just have. I- 
one non-creature spell in hand. It's not I, that hard. I also think that this card is like the thing that's really unique is that Paradox Engine with Mana Rocks, right, was always a really solid value case, right? But only mm. with Mana Rocks. And I think Pongo bringing up Eternal Witness earlier, uh, cards like Skyclave Apparition, mm-hmm. what we talked Dockside, about with Dockside, yeah. Spellseeker, right? Like these these cards that are like like f- fucking yeah. insane, <laughs> and and cards that like if you get a second copy of them, you're like, oh dear yeah. god, right? Like the, the, the like uh, I think it also hits your own Gilded Drakes, right? To like get them back isn't someone said that the other day you have to control land permanent you control you have to control yeah. it's not own it's not sword of uh home and hearth Hearth and home yeah uh or hearth okay, and yeah, home. Yeah, hearth, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. quite that yeah it flickers your stoneforge mystic yes <laughs> oh man <laughs> but like it, the fact that like i i mean that case right so like the the case of being able to flicker uh a, a Skyclave apparition over and over again in a bad scenario where you're not like winning with this card uh, is kind of just wild. Like the, the, the Jorah Dockside thing or like any of the Dockside stuff with this card is obviously insane. Um, but the fact that it has utility outside of like the typical Paradox engine space and the fact that there weren't a lot of CEDH cards that were like tap draw mm-hmm. card except for with Thrasios and Urza, right? But the fact that you can have cards that have ETB draw card effects with this card. And instead of it being the mana half, or you can even alternate between it being the mana half and the draw card half and the mana half and the draw card half, right? That it has so much flexibility. And I think that's really where this card shines. You know what's so tragic is this. You can't play this Mm -hmm. in Captain Sisse is the real travesty. Mm, Yes, actually. I was literally thinking about this with Emery. I was like, okay, so you start playing all these bad haste outlets like Lightning Greaves and then your Emery can just pop off with the kitten every turn. And I was like, Ian, I think you're you're doing some some hard believing here. (laughs) Next card on our list is Aboleth Spawn. It is a 2-3 fish whore that costs two colorless and a blue. It has flash ward two. whenever a creature entering the battlefield under an opponent's control causes a triggered ability of that creature to trigger. You may copy that ability. You may choose new targets for the copy. It's a trap. It's a trap. Uh, you know what? I think that's kind of racist because it's a fish and Admiral Admar is a fish person. It would actually be species, uh, you know, keep doing you, Cal. Wow, I hadn't even considered that, but <laughs> you're right. I, I guess I'll resign right now. Pongo's in, canceled. In, in disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next card on our list is Barakos. Am I saying this right? Barakos? My, my, yeah, Christ, my dumb fun. Christian brain wants to call it Barabbas. It's Barakos, Bar- right? Yeah, Barakos. Oh, yeah. Is like how I originally was thinking, but Barakos... Um, party leader is a two four legendary orc that costs three colorless and a black that says when it, it is also a cleric rogue warrior and was it's it's also a warrior. Oh shoot! Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for this. Uh, whenever it attacks, defending player loses X life, and you create X treasure tokens where X is the number of creatures in your party. 
and it's, you can choose a background, which is like Callahan. You know what what that looks like. Yeah, <laughs> is this an on fire garbage can or is this a Najila? Is this card? a Najila Wincon? <laughs> question mark. Yeah. <laughs> so what are what are our thoughts on this card, uh, Pongo? Um, okay. Well, first of all, just to you know nip this one in the bud. No, it's not a Najila card. Um, yeah, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> For four mana Shucks. and the fact that it has to attack, I think is actually probably the biggest thing, um, the biggest strike mm-hmm. against it. If it didn't have to attack and instead it was templated like when you attack and you do the thing, um, then maybe I would actually be considering it. Um, but we don't live in that world. It doesn't do that. So whatever. Um, as far as the card itself, I think it's actually pretty powerful as a commander. Um, that ability is actually pretty mm-hmm. strong where um, defending players, so you're going to try to attack each opponent, right? Um, and so you have each player ideally lose four life in addition to whatever damage they're taking from combat. And then you're making ideally four treasures if you build your deck correctly um, for attacking. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just pretty strong, um, as we know. You know, yeah. Dockside Extortion is a famously good card. Um, I did find it kind of lame that they it's in the commander deck with the background that also just happens. Th- to well, that's how they all it. are. Yeah, you know, like all, all of these. Uh, yeah, and like I know that's are, a very small. Yeah, all, and all these backgrounds gripe, are really designed to go like, with the choose a background commander and to synergize strongly with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I know what you're saying. Um, it's it's hard to imagine yeah. wanting to pick too many more of the other backgrounds, but I think actually Barakos mm. is an exception where I could see myself theoretically building this, not just as black-white, although black-white is a really strong direction to go with him specifically. It's, it's so tempting it's so because tempting. that background is it's really so powerful. Tempting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and because white actually really helps you fill out party really nicely. And it it helps the speed of this card, right? Like thinking about like curving like a Dranus yes. Magistrate yeah. into a, a Archon of Myria into this card, and then like yeah, at minimum you, making t- like like uh. <laughs> you do want to be playing stacks yeah. really to you know uh, realize the value proposal, and you know both in terms of the life loss and in terms mm-hmm. of the treasure creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know theoretically, you could play this as like a black red commander too. Uh, I think you know he's interesting. He's not going to massively shake up the format or anything like that mm-hmm. but if somebody pulled up at a table with a barakos uh you know either an orzov or in yeah. rakdos i'd be like okay yeah this is this is a cool deck and uh you know if you get enough time or you get the right opening hand uh i'm sure you will do some powerful things you need to y'all need to go check your twitter because i tagged you guys uh in a post you already, you already <laughs> noted you need to check it um it's now, Cal, it, it, it's if you just, don't put this listen, picture in the YouTube video, because you have a habit of saying, I'm going to put this picture in the YouTube video and I, then being like, <laughs> you're like, right now, I'll put up a graphic of six ducks and they're all having a sword fight. And in the middle is a picture of Pongo holding the Gila. And I'm going to be sitting there staring at our cold, dead faces being like, where are the fucking ducks, Cal? <laughs> Where where are my ducks? <laughs> where are my ducks? I was promised the ducks. <laughs> well, they're my black market connections have them. Wow. Um, which coincidentally is wow. our next card on the list. Consummate professional. Wow. 
Black Market mm. Connections is uh, two colorless in a black enchantment. It says at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, choose one or more. The first ability is create a treasure token. You lose one life. The second one is draw a card. You lose two life. And the third one is create a three, two colorless shapeshifter creature token with changeling. You lose three life. Okay. So again, Pongo, is this, this, this is an on, on fire garbage can. Could be an Agila card. You have a problem. What, what, I mean, <laughs> you have an actual problem. Kyle. <laughs> we've, we've talked about it. Um, so at minimum, you're basically getting a easier to cast Phyrexian Arena because you can draw a card on not on your upkeep, your pre-combat main phase. But anyway, um, additionally, you can make a treasure token. So we're just talking about like strictly better Phyrexian Arena and Phyrexian Arena, you know, does have some history in the format. Um, if you go right. far back enough um, by today's standards, not nearly good enough. And then, you know, kind of the last ability here, which actually for Nagila specifically is kind of interesting uh, is you can make a three, two colorless shapeshifter creature token that also happens to be a warrior because of changeling. Um, so, you know, if you're willing to pay six mana, you can make a treasure, you can draw a card and you can make a warrior. Problem is that it's three mana. You have to wait. And then, you know, to realize the value from the warrior, you have to wait an extra turn because you have to wait for it to no longer be summoning sick. So that whole part is really a, you know a bit of a pipe dream um yeah but you know is this good enough as a card that makes a treasure and draws a card uh each turn for three mana maybe um i don't think it makes the cut in like four plus colors again you know just the the power level of of the card pool uh once you get into that many colors but you know this this seems powerful enough potentially for lower color decks um and, you know, it could be one that maybe I'm wrong about, you know, maybe attacking on the fact that it makes a treasure uh, pushes it over the top. But I'm skeptical. I also think, like, we have a habit of just assuming if you're playing the color black, you're playing ad nauseum in our format. Um, yeah, it's another big issue. Right. But that being said... I think that there are some grindier decks in the format, like your Tim Natana style decks that are like, I, mm -hmm. I'd pay for life to make a creature and draw a card. Oh, five life. Oh, five. Yeah, Sorry. Five yeah. The, oh, the treasure is the one life one. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. But like, yeah. Okay. I pay five life to make a dude and draw a card. Yeah. If I'm not on Nas, I'm pretty okay doing that. I think in depending right, on the deck. In, in, yeah, and I, the card's not bad, for sure. The card's not bad at all. And I think that there is... I think it's just slow is the problem. Um, but, it like, it's slow, but it's it's bonkers what it does, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, it, if you have the luxury of time, this card's insane. Here's my hot take. So, and my hot takes are famously hot, so <laughs> strap on. Yeah, um, it's true. <laughs> so... I think this is closer to Sylvan Library than it is. I was to gonna Phyrexian say the Arena. same thing. God, this is why I love you, Ian. <laughs> it, I don't think that's a hot take. It reminds like, me a it, lot of I, I, strictly I, better I really, than Phyrexian like, Arena. <laughs> like Sylvan Library is, uh, I feel like about as fast as this is, and yep. I think this gives you mm -hmm. for less life 
a little bit more value. Like, depending on the deck you're playing. But I think if you would consider playing Sylvan Library in your deck, you would also consider playing this. I'm not saying they're both going to make the cut, but there's a lot of decks where Sylvan Library doesn't always make the cut, right? Like, I, I, I think this is, again, kind of, in my opinion, very sing- similar to Archivist of Ogma, where it's that same class of card as Sylvan Library, where it's going to be in my initial cut of a lot of decks. Like, you know, I'm throwing everything that I'm going to consider into this bucket in Moxfield, and then I'm going to start pulling stuff like out. like the 110 card of- is like what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, does it always make it to 100? No, but there will be decks where, like, Greasefang, I think, is a great example of this. Like, this is just straight up sylvan library and a deck like mm-hmm. Reese Fang. Right? I, I think like, that um the comparison with sylvan library is interesting but i think that um it, it kind of downplays the massive difference between two and three mana um you know sylvan library a lot of the time it's yeah. so powerful because you go land you know mox diamond pitch a land play sylvan library and like that's a really powerful play you can do it with a chrome mox too for this card, you really need to have like basically specifically mana crypt, um, or like a dark ritual, and like you know probably you're not playing this in your dark ritual deck, and because if you're playing a dark ritual deck, I think you'd probably sooner just play like necropotence over this card, like if that's sort of the plan. Um, so like I, I think that if this was two mana and it didn't have the higher a mercenary mode, it was just like. You know, like lose three life, make a treasure, draw an extra card. I probably would play this over Sylvan Library at that point, like in a good amount of decks. Maybe that, maybe that's crazy, but like three mana, like three life instead of four, draw an extra card and not have the option to draw an additional extra card for four life. But I also get a treasure. Like that, I don't know. That I think that's a card that I would be pretty happy to play. I, I can't imagine a world where like Timna Armix or Timna Arden or Timna Tevish or Greasefang or insert Orzov deck here is not interested in this. I, well, I mean, it interferes like, on the curve with Timna like a lot, right? So like, when do you play this? I mean, this? it's Mana Crypt Land this, right? Like it's... I mean, if you have specifically it's, that... It, if you're if we're gonna make that argument, I feel like you can make a similar argument about Rustic Study. I get that Rustic Study has a lot more long term value, but like I there there was a point in time where people were saying like three mana was too much for Rustic Study. Like remember that hellscape that we were in at the beginning of the pandemic where people weren't we playing. Don't, we Rhystic don't talk study. about the dark times. Like <laughs> we don't talk about the dark times. I think in grindy decks that are low color specifically Orzov, this is going to be a slam dunk. Yeah, I don't think that's such a high bar to clear, for sure, for lower color decks. Next card on our list is first red card on our list, which is Street Urchin, um, which is also conveniently the second commander on our list. Um, It is a legendary background, which is an enchantment, uh, that costs one colorless and a red, um, and it says commander creatures you own have uh, one, you pay one colorless, sacrifice another creature or an artifact. This creature deals one damage to any target. So 
there's a couple things here. Uh, there's one of the things that I think is really cool with these backgrounds is even if so, they don't do anything unless your commander is out. Right. The one thing that's nice is if it's in your command zone, it does turn on your fierce guardianships, your deflecting swats. Wait, your, really? Um, yep. Yeah, it counts as oh. your command. If it's, if it's in the command zone. I did not know that. Yeah. If this is in your command zone, this turns That's those things very on. very interesting. I did not hear about that. So even if you don't have anything going on and you have, so you're, you're playing this card, right? You're playing Street Urchin and you have it paired with something blue. You just play this out and you have fierce or deflecting SWAT in your hand. And you can rep, you have that now regardless of whether this card is do or doing anything, it's now turned that on. It's very much like Rograk in that respect. Yes. Um, where Rograk kind of doesn't do anything on its own. Um, with Mox Amber and all the other stuff, yeah. But, right, with all these other things that kind of turn stuff on, that's kind of similar to how these backgrounds work. Um, but, um, like, what is our feeling on this? Like, I, I, we have in our show notes, this is probably the best background out of all of them. Um, but, like, Pongo, where do you, where do you land on this card? Like, like maybe as, like, the it. best sort of generic backgrounds. Um, I'd have to, like, think about that statement a little bit more. Mm, um, I think there are certain backgrounds that maybe pair, like, are stronger with specific pairings. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah... Certainly that, you know, this is a very, very powerful, I think even just generic background, or or I should say it is a very powerful generic background, um, mainly because, you know, any, uh, you know, background commander now kind of just has an outlet for Dockside Extortionist loops uh, where he can make infinite yeah. treasures, uh, make infinite mana, and then start sacrificing them for damage. Um, so, yes. yeah, great. You know what I mean? I, like, we've got a direction for every background commander in conceivable like conceivably i'm a big um, fan of this card with specifically uh having a dockside outlet on top of like a, a green commander specifically for yeah, guardian sure. hulk right um now obviously it's not like mm -hmm. having something like brawls because you have to pay mana into it right but it definitely could be a lot worse like a, a green does not get a, a i mean let's talk about like this season of the MLC, right? We saw what happened with all the cruel commanders. Uh, so like, yeah, none of them got drafted. Like, honestly, I, I was just like quickly uh, scry falling, like what the rest of the green outlets are. And I kind of like the idea of just playing this with the, the crappy bear just because of the fact that it's a two drop, Wilson. right? <laughs> Wilson, the street urchin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, that's such it, a cute, <laughs> this little bear just that, like that around money. I mean, literally Story any of the backgrounds the like with Wilson are hilarious when you think about them. Yes. Cause it's yes. just a bear Honestly, that can be yes. like a dragon cultist or like a bear that can be, or a master. Yeah. Chef. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just makes no sense. Um, so I love that that card exists. Th this also with a card we're going to talk about later is something I'm I'm very excited about and I'll leave. Well, I mean I think it's wonder it's very very strong about. generically just to as a as a background and then obviously has like some very yeah. very specific mm -hmm. more niche interactions but also happens to have like a really gross combination with what's probably one of the most problematic commanders in casual right now. <laughs> well, speaking of the next red card on uh, that are that is fun or whatever is a wild magic surge. It is an instant that costs two red 
and it says destroy target permanent and opponent controls. Its controller reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a permanent card that shares a card type with that permanent. They put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of their library in a random order. So this definitely shares some amount of stuff like it's similar enough to um, Chaos mm-hmm. Warp, right? I don't think it's quite that clear cut. Um, mainly because this polymorphs whatever it hits, right? Like Chaos Warp, it's so unlikely that they're just going to flip back into the thing that you Chaos I Warp. I love this card. So you you love this card? I do. I okay. do love it so much. Uh, the thing is, right? So look, when you're, when you're playing Mono Red in CDH or even Rakdos in CDH... You have this sort of thing that like a lot of the Krark players have with their they go, you live by the coin, you die by the coin. This yeah. is like you live by the mountain, you die by the mountain, right? <laughs> and this yep. is just that sometimes red decks, it like the non-Magda red decks really struggle to like hit an enchantment or nuke an enchantment. And just the idea that like I have this removal spell that says, how dare you question the power of mono red? <laughs> like, like, they're like, oh yeah, this, uh, whatever, this rule of law traditionally uh, is going to stop whatever they're doing in this deck. And you're like, excuse me, tap two mountains, suck it. If you're using this to hit an enchantment, like that can really, really be scary. There's a lot of really powerful enchantments in the format. Um, uh, it's just, so, I don't, it's, first of all, crossed. it's like, <laughs> It's like the the traditional red card, right? Like it is it is flavorfully like the awesome, like so red. It works so well. It's it's much more efficient than Chaos War because of the two mana cost. Um mm. I play a lot in the in the mono or I guess I brew a lot in the in the mono red Rakdos space because that's like I it, like I took one of those personality quizzes and I had like 33% red compared to any other color. Right. So like for, for <laughs> me that this is my, my drug of choice. And, and so like the, the fact that like red just has another option that is so traditionally red and gives more flexibility to be a competitive color. I, I love that, especially in the lower colors. My sense. only gripe with the card is that I wish it didn't say an opponent controls and you could point it at your own stuff. Pongo, okay. <laughs> you and Nathan. Nathan said this uh, shit on Twitter and I was like, this would literally be, it would be the best polymorph ever printed. Yes, I know. It, it, obviously, you can't By do a, that, but like... A comical amount. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you couldn't print it that way, but like... I'm on the same yeah. boat, right? But like, like it would legitimately be like it, it disproportionate amounts of leaps and bounds better than anything they've ever printed, right? right. Like, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I just gotta say, like, as we're recording this, Ian, that like you have mm-hmm. Pongo and I who have backgrounds and are wearing sh- like full clothing. Oh, yeah, and then my, there's my, you my... with like. Your college dorm room. And yeah, <laughs> well, I just got back I, from Richmond. I'm wearing pajamas. <laughs> it's it's 1030. Are you, there's no, uh, listen, I hope that this is true for all of us, but I'm willing to put myself out on a line and, and be the only person that look like a fool here. I'm not wearing pants. It's 1030. You, you think I'm wearing <laughs> pants? I have been yeah. many a recording without pants. I just, I love you, buddy. <laughs> um... <laughs> No, I get it. I, I I give off a certain, you know, energy. I'm wearing uh, the weebiest possible shirt. 
Is that a Naruto shirt? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Pongo, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jesse. Uh, <laughs> Working on it. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. Making some big steps. Wow, there's going to be two doctors yep. in the, the I know. Filters. What is this, a fucking professional? Yeah, we can't be the good guys, right? Like, <laughs> Oh, no, we're definitely evil doctors. <laughs> a bunch of sure, doctors. Yeah. Pongo, unfortunately, isn't becoming a, a, a... He is becoming a master, but unfortunately not in the types of things that we want him to be a master in, which is like, you know, cooking. So, unfortunately, his background is not becoming a master chef, uh, which is coincidentally the next... Uh, card on our list it is a you can't you can't actually hit us with this you can't actually just expect yeah, me to no, be okay with was, what you've that just one done was like a stretch yeah oh, <laughs> that shit. one was painful yeah i took you on a journey the last one was smooth as silk this one was like a bumpy road <laughs> my my flight to richmond was less of a journey than that oh boy and i have my goddamn flight canceled <laughs> Y'all are crazy. Um, anyhow, Master Chef uh, is uh, two colorless and a green. And uh, it says, Commander Creatures You Own, have this creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. And other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on them. So any background commander is now a persist combo. Yep. Yep. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's that's about it. it. It doesn't matter what commander, it just combos with persist. I'm just sad um, that you can't play this this card in Asmorano Marka Diced in a Kuldakar because that would be a flavor yes. win. Mm-hmm. That was that was um, just the you know, I had to throw out the name there. Yeah, no yeah flex exactly. that you could actually do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Gale Waterdeep Prodigy is the next commander on our list. Uh it is a one three human wizard with two color that costs two colorless and a blue. And uh, the ability says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, you may cast up to one target card of the other type from your graveyard. If a spell cast from your graveyard, this way would be put into your graveyard exile it instead. Um, and most people are talking about this in combination with the black background Scion of Halister, which is uh, one colorless and a black that says commander creatures you own have the first time you would draw a card each turn. Instead, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your graveyard and the other back on top of your library, then draw a card. So obviously the the idea is, is that one fuels the other. Um, mm-hmm. So, Ian, you said you that that Gale was and I quote gas no ian said it was pushed (laughs) oh that's right that's right it it was and i quote pushed so please elaborate (laughs) for the class look i i I see this card and i'm I'm not like oh god the heavens are falling but like the fact you do still have to pay mana for the card right like if you didn't then it would be stupid and that's totally right but the fact that like i can go okay on on cal's turn i'm gonna cast a consider or an opt, and then I'm going to cast my demonic tutor that's in my graveyard, right? That's where I, okay, so the part where I think this card is kind of really cool is that, and and the reason that it's different than Kess is that I was looking at Lear, which was in one of the new Innistrad blocks. Um, And Lear has, like, does some really dumb stuff with intuition, right? Uh But because of the upfront cost of that card, 
in addition to the fact that the card is just like uh, the fact that y- you can no longer counter right. spells, right? right? All of these things, you lose so much utility with that ability. Oh, so you're talking about this is like so a when high I, tide commander. And not even in the sense of like high tide particularly, but in the fact that your graveyard becomes an extension of your hand, right? So casting a card like Frantic Search in this deck is just like bonkers, right? Like uh, if you're able to bin two relevant spells in your graveyard while you have your commander in the battlefield and then just start like storming off or like even like storming in a very loose sense. Um, Play to Win actually did a really interesting video where they played the blue black version of this commander and you really got to see it do some like really cracked stuff like really really unique stuff just like popping off at instant speed and stuff like that um and i know a lot of people are really focusing on the blue black version of this deck but alluding back to the thing we talked about i don't know too long ago at this point i really think this is cool with the sacrifice street urchin uh, background the street urchin background yeah um Specifically because not only does it become like a really unique and maybe my favorite strength wise is it combo since Karkashima just with the fact that like it lends itself so well to the storm mechanic like with what Gale does is just naturally very um productive for a storm sense but the fact that it then also gets the ability to go infinite with oxide i I just think there's a lot of play to that that space and the fact that on top of that it also has this blue black variant which is just very much like hey dark ritual cabal ritual they're all really good cards yagmas well they're stupid so all these just generically extremely powerful cards that we get to play with in CDH, being able to cast them multiple times and not be so all in as a deck like Lear. Uh, I think Gale is really cool. And I think that there is a lot of space to be explored with this card that has yet to be fully realized. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think the biggest weakness of the card is that it is only ever blue, red or blue, black and never unfortunately grixis right yeah oh yeah absolutely right that that's that is for sure a thing um yeah without saying but you know that's that's fascinating i i definitely wasn't thinking about this card very much before you brought it up Ian. Mm -hmm. so thank you for opening my eyes on the potential of this card yeah uh next card on our (laughs) list is a character that will not go away um, you're going to see it in CEDH a lot in a different, lot of different ways. And it's Minsk and Boo Timeless Heroes. Uh, it is a legendary planeswalker that can be your commander that costs two colorless, a red and a green. And it has three loyalty coming in and it has a static ability that says after um, when it enters the battlefield at the beginning of your upkeep, <laughs> you may create Boo, a legendary 1-1 red hamster creature token with trample and haste. Uh, It has a plus one that says put three plus one plus one counters and up to one target creature with trample or haste. So obviously boo. Um, And then minus two, sacrifice a creature. When you do, Minsk and Boo deals X damage to any target where X is that creature's power. If the sacrificed creature was a hamster, draw X cards. 
so so what are what are you guys' thoughts on this card overall? Like, I wish it was, you know, Naya, like Minx is supposed to be. Um, I think that's probably the biggest strike against it. Um, is that like just straight red green Hulk? Um, is probably not good enough. Um, and the fact that like the draw ability is on a minus is also a little bit rough. And it has to be a hamster to, to draw the cards. You have to sacrifice Boo yeah. pretty much. Um, I mean, I suppose you could have sacrifice changelings, but like that's kind of too cute to for me to ever imagine myself wanting to do it. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's really, you know, it's cool in concept because like, you know, it can draw cards. So it has that angle. It can make things bigger. So you've got like, you know, this sort of aggressive bent to it. But the problem is that in those colors, you can't reliably slow down the game enough. Um, so I think that you're not playing to the strengths of Hulk as a strategy or the potential strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not getting the additional speed that you would get if you added like black, for example. Um, so you're kind of just always missing a crucial piece for the deck to really um, be as good as alternatives. So last card on our list is uh, also a commander. And I'm going to be honest, this is my favorite card from the set. Um, reasonable. By thing. like yeah. a really long, like by a, a wide lot, margin. Whoa. A lot, a lot, a yeah. lot. It's because it's a warrior, right? Yes, it is. A <laughs> um, is the, mm-hmm. So Pongo, is Najila this a Najila card? card? Of course. Yeah. No, so, um, so. Before we get too deep into it, so Abdel Adrian Gorian's Wand is a 4-4 human warrior that costs four colorless and a white. And it says, when he enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-land permanents you control until Abdel Adrian leaves the battlefield. Create a 1-1 white soldier creature token for each permanent exile this way. And it also has to choose background. So you can play this as your commander, um, but this is a white world gorger dragon, um, which is oh, and you know what the best part about this is? Is it's a white world gorger dragon that doesn't leave you wide open to just getting fucked in the ass, like you you there. This card. It's it's beautiful. I love it. There's no world where you get screwed over by this card. I think the biggest issue with your take is that World Gorger Dragon's um, niche and its strength has always been how efficiently and how quickly that combo can be pulled off, where you can just like exactly. literally entomb and then like animate dead, and you can do it so quickly, and you know for so little mana. And with so little um, like development on the board, right. you just need a land basically. And then like in mm-hmm. the decks that yes. um, are built to really abuse World War II Dragon, that will typically be enough. Like with Evelyn, for example, um, this doesn't really do that. Is kind of the issue um, where you know this says for you to actually pull off like that same combo, you need non-land permanents that make mana. And not just non-land permanents that make mana, they have to be non-summoning sick non-land permanents that make mana. So you can't use this with mana dorks. 
there's a lot of contexts exactly. where that is actually super relevant. Um, for example, if you're layering with like the Raziketh type of reanimation strategies where right. like, yeah, so, you want to be playing yeah. magic works so, in that deck, the, right? Like, so where, mm-hmm. where I see it being an upgrade over world gorger dragon is specifically in, um, Tim Jessica, right? Because you're already playing a high density of those, uh, the rocks, yeah. rocks and you're mulliganing creates, for rocks, but Right, you're mulliganing for those. You still it need also a rock that makes colored your, mana, though. Right, but the the thing that is nice with this is even your fail state of I have a bunch of one ones contributes to the Timna plan, so you can still get back into the game even right. if you get got. Um, and I think that's why I like it's it's slower on the curve than World Gorger Dragon is. Um, so it's a lot more friendly to the um, ad nauseum strategy of Tim Jessica. Like, that's why I see that and I get really excited because I look at that and I go, oh, I'm much more willing to play this in Tim Jessica than I am World Gorger Dragon. I, I think the explosivity of World Gorger Dragon is something that is really being overlooked mm-hmm. here. Um, Abdel is a much safer version of this effect, as as Pongo kind of already stated. Uh, but the fact that so so like one of my like first CEDH brews that like started attracting attention was Krogsa. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the biggest appeals of that deck was that I could just go turn one, uh, command tower, turn two, entomb. Or sorry, turn one in tomb and step animate and dead. then yeah. untap and like animate dead. Right. Um, and obviously you need well, another card. In the <laughs> it's, a, it's a detail. It's a detail. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to go into that specifically. It's details, details. Uh, and that speed was a very large factor in the appeal of World of Order Dragon. Now, Abdel is a lot better in its floor case, right? But its ceiling case is significantly reduced. Maybe, you know, Ian, feel free to let me know if you agree or disagree with this sort of global assessment. I think like Abdel is essentially not really replacing World Gorger Dragon for the decks that wanted World Gorger Dragon. That's not its primary function. It's almost more of like an archetype creating card. Like it, it, it's going to empower different That's fair. decks. Wholehearted. So, agreement. you know, it, it is certainly going to be, you know, agreement. a card that is played in CEDH like World Warrior Dragon, but mm-hmm. I don't think that it is just a straight swap. I think what it is, it's empowering new yeah, decks. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think for anyone listening in the audience, I think what, what Pongo and I are taking critique on here is not necessarily the power level of this card or even its viability in a CDH sense, but more so the idea that World Gorger is dead when compared right. to this card. I think they're, I think it's comparing like apples and oranges, right? It, it, it's two very different yeah. things. And, and that's fair. I am being Just, a little bit. Like, and it's it's like we're talking about Archivist, right? Like if you're comparing it to Opposition Agent, it's, it smells like an opposition agent. It looks like an opposition agent. But if you taste the opposition agent, it's completely different flavor, right? right? <laughs> I, I, I will say I do stand by. I think this in Tim Jessica is just 
significantly better in a generic sense than World Gorger Dragon. I think it's probably much more friendly to what that deck is doing and is a much safer option that doesn't leave you just wide open to being got. Um, like, yeah, and I mean, like, playing Abdel and, like, exiling a couple of your things and having a bunch of Timon attackers when the game gets desperate is way better than having this seven-mana thing that will just nuke your board. Right, <laughs> right like, like in, in that strict sense, absolutely you're right. That about wraps things up for us here on the Mind Sculptors this week. Thank you so much for tuning in for this week's episode. If you liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to rate the show on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Or if you're listening on YouTube, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And tell us down in the comments what your favorite part of the show was or what your favorite card from Battle for Baldur's Gate is. What's your take on the set? Go ahead and let us know down there in the comments on YouTube. Also want to uh, thank some of our top tier patrons. Justin, Adam Hamden, David Sneevely, Dionichis, Grady Goodenough, Jacob Turan, Jason Bialk, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. If you too would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Mind Sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors, I'm Callahan, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.